Hi, this is John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and this is the Midwest Monsters Podcast. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. It's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable. But, I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now is that on so many pages <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then I mean it, it's it's almost inevitable that uh, you know half the time we're going to go you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast. And now, here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. Are we recording? I am one of your hosts. I am Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by my real pain in the rear end friends. Matt Jan, Professor Wagstaff. Glad to have you back with us, folks. Happy uh, 50th, guys. Yes. Happy 50th. 50th episode. Milestone. Yeah. Very nice. Man, we've been doing this for a while. Been doing it for a while. Uh, it took us a long time to get to 50. Yeah, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, you know. Or in Richmond, we used to go to the Rock and Bowl. So it's a long way to the top if you want to get to the Rock and Bowl. <laughs> well, hope you enjoyed our 50th episode. Welcome, um, We'll see you guys you. next week. Uh, we received some sad news this evening that uh, Mrs. Voorhees passed away. Yes. Betsy Palmer. So we would like to give our condolences to Betsy's family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, she will be missed. Uh, now, Ryan, did she, uh, Professor, did she do any movies before Friday the 13th? Yeah, I, her big fame was on uh, game shows. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I like how you laugh at that. Like, that used to be a thing, dude. Yeah, Betty White wouldn't have got the Golden Girls if she didn't do game shows. Mm-hmm. She had a huge following on there. I'm not sure about what all movies she did, but she definitely did. Yeah. She'd been around quite a while before. Um, so it's safe to say she'd been around role. the block a time or two? Wah, wah, wah. I'm just kidding. Don't you have any respect for the dead? That'll be a callback later. Right on. <laughs> um, yeah, and she did Friday the 13th because she needed a, a car, right? A car, yes. That's right. That's right. Well, God rest her, her weary soul. Uh, may light perpetual shine upon her. On to tonight's episode, our 50th. We are going to talk about a franchise. In which mothers get killed, much like Betsy Palmer. Mother? Yeah, it's interesting because I did see some parallels to Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Just kind of flip-flopped. Yeah. 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 So tonight we are talking about the Psycho franchise. And a lot of you may be saying, franchise? I thought there was just one Psycho. But no. There's more. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. a scream! <laughs> <laughs> and we watched them. And... I gotta tell you, I was not I was not disappointed. I wasn't either. Shockingly not disappointed. Not at all. Anything you guys want to say about it as a franchise before we launch into individual? 
I think a franchise that that came back twenty years after, more than twenty years after the original film, and sustained three more movies. You've got to give credit right there because there was enough want and need for that sequel, and then that sequel spawned two sequels after that. I mean, it says something about these characters mm-hmm. as a whole. Yeah, yeah, Professor. Um, I think a lot of people would write it off before ever exploring it, and that's a mistake. Um, I agree. I was that person. Yeah. I, until you guys said, let's do this episode, I was like, you're crazy. Yeah, I had seen two and three. I had never seen four before. So that was new for the episode. But um, these movies are surprisingly good. Um, they, they don't take themselves too seriously, but they're not tongue-in-cheek. Um, they try to make good movies. And I think, if nothing else, it's it's neat that Anthony Perkins came back and kind of owned the role throughout. Yeah. Um, uh, just insanely gifted actor who never got his dues because of that role. Yeah. And so it's kind of neat to see him come back, do his first, you know, directing gig as we'll discuss later with one of them. Um, but yeah, they're, they're excellent movies for what they are. Hi, I'm Norman Bates. <laughs> I just love the way he says it. I love the way he eats candy corn. Makes me want to walk around with a bag of it. Like yeah. Really <laughs> really freaking people out. I, yeah, I gotta tell you. So, um, just to break it down for our listeners here, we're going to talk about Psycho 1, 2, 3, and 4. There was a movie called Bates Motel. Nine of us watched that, so we're not going to discuss that. Well, I don't feel that it goes with No, because Perkins series. isn't in it. Right. No, I agree. Um, I We may say a word or two about the remake. Maybe a word or two. We may waste that time on it. Uh, and then we're, we want to say a word or two about Bates Motel, the TV series, mm-hmm. on uh, the AMC. Uh-huh. It's AMC. Yeah, it's A and E. A and E. Really? Yep. Well, I'll be darned. <laughs> I like how you didn't know a second ago, and now you're like, well, I'll be damned. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the way we want to approach this. Anything else we want to say before we launch into the first film? Yep. Ready to dive in. Mad Chan, you got some facts for us on the first film? Uh, sure. We got Psycho, 1960. Of course, the director was the famous Alfred Hitchcock. Did you do um, anything this- else? Huh? Did he do anything? Else? I'm not. Um, I haven't heard this one. Before. Um, he did. A, there was this movie called North by Northwest. <laughs> um, Rear Window. Hmm. Um, it was no. about a guy in a wheelchair who no. was looking at people. Um, who was that guy? He did uh, this movie called Vertigo. Good evening. Yeah. Who, but anyway, who was the guy in the wheelchair? Huh? Um. <laughs> Anyways, continue. It's a candy. Whatever. No, I'm but anyway, so yeah, Hitchcock. You but this was rat. Hitchcock's first. This was Hitchcock's first delve into like suspense horror, and um, it was written by a guy by the name of Joseph Stefano. Um, we have Norman Bates played by Anthony Perkins, um, Sam Loomis played by John Gavin, and Marion Crane played by Miss Janet Lee. Mm-hmm. Vera Miles, Martin Balsam. Right on. Right. Well, well, other notables. Well. Notables. Yeah. Because they uh, come back later. Yep. Yeah. Vera Wayne, Vera Bradley, all on these. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> not on Psycho. You can do that on any other movie franchise, but not on Psycho. Okay, you stop your laughing. You start. To... No, I dig it. <laughs> but no, for real, let's let's dive into Psycho, man. So Psycho was initially a book, um, and the book was written by Robert Block, and it was the it was a big seller at the time, and that's how he kind of Hitchcock kind of came into it. He actually had hopped a plane to go overseas, and 
he saw a copy of it before he got on the plane and then got on the plane or bought the copy, took it, read it on the plane and started mapping the movie out in his head. And when he'd come back to his offices after his vacation, he said that this is our next project. Like, so it was, it was based upon that book. It was his brainchild. He brought in a writer, Joseph Stefano. He, Stefano was a young writer. He had done, he had done minimal things at this point. And um, he was very young and he didn't know, how Hitchcock would take it, so he had him go off and write a treatment from the book. And he came back in for, like, an interview, and that's how they kind of formed their relationship. And eventually Hitchcock said, well, why don't you go ahead and write this scene? And so Stefano wrote the scene. He wrote the opening scene with, with her and Loomis, and with Janet Lee and Sam Loomis's character, in the, or Sam Loomis in the hotel room, and then came back and... Hitchcock read it and he liked it and he let his wife read it, which he often did, and she liked it. So they gave him another scene, and then that's how they got they dove into taking this book from its inception into a film. Mm. Interesting, interesting. I didn't know any of that backstory. Yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're thinking I don't care right now, but I want you to know I do. I do. He cares. I do care. I do care. Iconic film. I mean, definitely one that set a standard, you know, and it's still one today. Anytime you hear sharp strings, you know, for a suspenseful moment, that's a callback to Psycho. You know what I mean? Um, Professor, opening thoughts. I would put this in the top three most important movies ever. Wow. Like, to me, and and many have said this, that with gauging it, there's everything before Psycho and everything after. Mm-hmm. That it yeah, kind of a turning point. That's in a terms great point. Of what is put into film, subject matter, intensity, turning things up on their head. Mm-hmm. Certainly, with some of what happens within the plot in this was just unheard of. Yeah, um, and even unheard of from the novel, just completely flipped around to change up the movie for varying reasons. One of which was money. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just in- insanely important. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you're talking before this is Universal Monsters, mm-hmm. you know, for scary movies, for, for Scarlet Cinema, I believe the yeah. term was. Yeah. Well, and people who were pushing more of the boundaries were doing it on foreign soil. These things weren't happening here. I know a movie that directly influenced um, Hitchcock for Psycho was Diabolique, mm, yeah. um, which was all black and white and just very intense uh, with the subject matter, with betrayal and murder and you know, disposal of a dead body. Uh, there's a lot going on with that, and many have cited that that was a direct inspiration for him, that, you know, after that had come out and he'd seen it, he wanted to do something along those lines. Well, it's clearly a very different film, but you can also see where that played a part in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's important. Psycho is one of the most beautifully shot movies I've ever seen. Um, I was talking to the professor about this before. It has we talk we often talk about movies that don't waste space. Well, every frame and every scene, every shot was set up for a reason in this movie, and it's all beautifully done. So he tells the story right there, like particularly when Marion's in the car. Like we we do the side shot of Marion in the car. She's perfectly square framed within that frame, mm-hmm. you know, equal distance on either side of her. And then when we do the reverse shot of her looking out the window, it's not a center shot showing the road. It's a shot from her POV. And it's done the same way on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's this is what she's seeing. 
and it really was one of those first movies to give that to give the camera pov or to give the pov shot you know we're using the camera through the eyes of the killer or using the camera through the eyes of you know the person that we want that we're con conveying their emotions mm -hmm. so i love that about this movie. i think one interesting thing about this story is that you have janet lee on the run because she stole money she wants to run away with her lover who is still divorcing his wife and so she steals this large sum of money and she goes on the run and then she gets murdered and it's interesting to me that like for a while your mind and i think this is the way it's made your mind starts to make those connections of oh, like well bad things happen to bad people but the crime and the murder are unrelated I think that's neat about this is that she is a thief. She steals money, but then she stops at this hotel and she gets murdered by a psycho for reasons unrelated to yeah, her money theft. tied in to nothing. Exactly. And I think that's a neat piece of the story that gets overlooked mm -hmm. a lot because it's just natural. You think, well, she stole money. She got murdered. And these things, you don't, I mean, you don't ever say they're connected, but then you never pause to say, well, they're completely unconnected. And it's, mm -hmm. so, it's interesting because they're two unrelated crimes. She's not an innocent person. Right. She's not an innocent person being murdered, but she's not murdered for the crime she's done. Mm -hmm. I think, I, to me, that was just it's something that I picked up this time around, you know, being the fifth or sixth time I've watched this movie, that I was like, man, that's kind of a plot point that's interesting. Right. Yeah. See, the other thing is, like, uh, we, we tend to think about it as a screen setup, but it's really the psycho setup. You're you're led to believe that Janet Lee's the star of this movie, and then she gets killed, mm. and we find out that Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates, is the star of this yeah. movie. Yeah, that's and been it all about him all along. You're right. just taking a while to get to that, mm -hmm. right? And so, I mean, we tend to like later generations tend to think of it as a scream. You know, Drew Barrymore's your setup yeah, girl, totally. But then it moves into Neff Campbell, where this is, you know, Janet Lee brings us there. She's the star. Who gets killed, and then Anthony Perkins comes. Up, we kind of play around in Norman Bates's role for a while. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about Janet Lee. One of the cool things is, I'd never noticed this, and uh, I'd never noticed this, but once it was pointed out, it was amazing. Um, in the opening scene, Janet Lee is uh, she's seen wearing a white bra. It when she's in the room with Loomis, right? Her character Marion. She's wearing a white bra, and she puts her shirt on, and she grabs her purse, and it's a white purse. After she commits the crime of stealing the money when she makes it into the hotel room, she's now carrying a black purse, and she's wearing a black bra. Interesting. And that is known as, for sure, that was not like just wardrobe. That was on purpose. Yeah, that's also known as racism. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, that was it was done on purpose. It was showing the, the where who she was before, and then she yeah. committed that crime, and who she, you know. Yeah. The light versus the dark. And I I never really picked up on it watching the movie. And then after it was pointed out, I was like, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. And again, murdered for no reason. You know what I mean? Like, I still think that, that these connections are awesome. But still, it's like, it's it's all yeah. unrelated. Well, and, it, and it makes the shower scene all that much scarier. Yeah. Is that you literally have been watching this movie about this character and out of nowhere you were punched in the nose. Yep. I mean, with that just insane scene that just comes out of nowhere. I mean, viewers may have sus suspected something with his style 
that once you watch her start running the water and going through emotions and something's coming that we're spending this much time in the shower. But now Janet Lee wasn't a huge star, but she was a name. Yeah. People knew who she was. So it's already shocking enough to take her character out like at that point in the film, but to do it in the way that they do in a way that viewers had never seen anything like that before is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, to have been uh, one of the first people to see that movie in the theater before it became common knowledge, you just must have had, you know, your jaw in your life. Oh, it's wow. Just unbelievable yeah. what, you're, what you're witnessing. You've never seen anything like this in movies before. Um, but I, I think that's what's great about it and what makes it so important is there's all of these firsts. I mean, there, there really hadn't even been the redirect like that in film mm-hmm. before. I mean, clearly there's always been plot twists and turns and, you know, fooling people at the end of a movie. But to take somebody that you've invested some interest in at that point in that much of a chunk of the film and get them completely naked and stab them to death in a very gruesome manner, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, when that came out, wow. That that had to just be jarring. You know, Jen at least said once that uh, after watching the film, you know, and seeing how absolutely vulnerable a woman is in the shower, that from that point on, she took baths. Yeah, I'd heard her say that in an interview. Yeah. Wow. That it made her, that it didn't bother her during the filming. Right. But it but was the seeing it on film <laughs> just kind of shook her a little bit. She saw how uh, vulnerable a woman actually was in the shower. Hmm. So from that moment on, she took baths. I thought, I thought that was I thought that was an interesting. That is fascinating. See, uh, my thing is, what can we say about the shower scene that hasn't been said a thousand times? Every Just other place. Editing masterpiece. Right. right, and the the iconic shots: the shower head, uh, the blood going down the drain, which gets used in every film after yeah. that. Right. The uh, silhouette when it first comes in, you see yep. that door swing open. Woo! Yeah, that yeah. is scary. Also used yep. in each film after that. Uh, the hand, you know, reaching up. Her like mm-hmm. her her last like gasp like reaching out. I gets used a couple times in the films afterwards. Um, the I eye. used it in Good Night. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. the, the eye is intense. That pan out. Yeah, yeah. I think personally, the thing that I really loved. About, I mean, the shower scenes, whatever. But I loved Anthony Perkins' portrayal of Norman Bates in this movie. Oh, I think yeah. he makes all the right choices at all the right times, and that's one thing that helped. That helps make this movie for me every single time we watch it is the choices he makes. Like when they're talking, when he makes her sandwich, Mm -hmm. you know, just that whole scene in the parlor, which takes place in the house in the book. But the whole scene in the parlor, when he's talking to her, he's he's making these choices of how he delivers each and every line. And by the time we get to the line, you know, we all go a little mad sometimes. Mm -hmm. He stops and then he gives that smile. And everything's okay. And, I mean, it's brilliant. Like, what he did with that character is just amazing. Yeah, brilliant line. I just said that a few weeks ago. You know, we all go a little mad sometimes. You know, like, it's just a great line. Um, and, again, a throwback to Scream. Mm-hmm. Like, so, obviously, you can tell. Like, granted, Scream was supposed to be influenced by lots of horror movies. But you can tell in that movie in particular, like, Craven pulled from this movie. Yeah. And so we're left with poor Norman Bates, who is tormented by mother. This voice of this mother, who is this moral compass, who's always accusing him of doing the wrong thing. But then we find out there is no mother. 
least not now. Right. And we start the inner struggle of what does Norman do to please mother? And how does he become mother? Well, I mean, this really. It's a pretty intense subject matter for 1960. Well, really, in this movie, like, we, you don't get that there's no mother until the end. Until the end. Right. Right. Because right. they, they Which still is the big, the big reveal. So, not only do you have the shocking shower scene, which is right. less than halfway through the film. Oh, yeah, it's in the first third. That's not even the payoff. No, not at all. The payoff when you, is there's no mother. Yeah. Well, and also what builds that is that it's equally uncomfortable to watch the disputes between he and mother. Like, right. even if mother existed at the end of the film, that's still, ugh. Mm -hmm. You know, like, with what, right. what we just hap saw happen to the woman down in the hotel and then the interactions with mother and carrying her around the house and just how unhealthy it is between the two, it only makes it that much scarier when the chair gets spun around at the end. Yeah. Right, right. Which was an awesome. I mean, that still holds Swinging up. Light. Yeah. Like his hand, that conscious effort to have his hand hit that light, mm. just that made it. It came in and out. He was scary as hell running in, running in there at the end when she's downstairs. Yeah. And, and you think about it, how many people got killed in Psycho? On screen, two. Yep. Yep. Like, that's it. That's all you get to see. Mother's actually already dead. Mm -hmm. um, we don't get into more body counts until later films. I mean... Well, they talk about they found more cars, didn't they? Well, yeah, but I'm, they, I'm talking about, like, the in lake. the film. Right, right. right. I'm yeah, just saying. Like, they, they, they did... Hitchcock did all this within the parameters of a kill a third. Right. He, he, we have our kill at, their, at our first turning point in the first third, and then he, the private investigator gets too close, mm -hmm. and we have our second kill. Yeah. And then that's it. Right. And at the end, we we capture Norman. We don't kill Norman. We capture Norman. Right. And I'm, the reason I bring up, because I want to make sure that I got that right, when the, the psychologist is laying it all out for him at the police station, and they're talking about dragging the lake. They did say that they dragged the lake and found more cars mm -hmm. yeah. in the first film. Yeah, Marion Crane's not the first. Because that's a setup for the following. That's that's the only reason I bring that up. Yeah, other to make things sure. have happened there. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to make sure that I had that right in my head. And see, yeah. and that was one of the things, like, uh, when you see the Perkins portrayal of Bates, like, when he goes back into the room, it's so neat, it's so quick and precise the way that he does things on the cleanup. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly. And, and you go, when you're watching, I can only imagine, like, watching it the first time through, you know, and especially for people back in that era, it's like, oh, you're not thinking he's done this before. You're thinking he's got to hide that body. He's he's trying right. to help mother. Crime of passion. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's the thing that plays you know out is that he's helping mother. Oh, mother has done this again. You know, mother has done this. You know, what a mess. You know, ding dong. There's no mother. You know, <laughs> like ding dong. Like ding it's dong. that simple for him. There's ding no dong. mother. Um, the whole scene at the sheriff's house I thought was absolutely great when Sam Loomis and the sister, mm -hmm. when they go to the sheriff's house, because you're literally missing a dun-dun-dun from that reveal. Yeah. It's like, because at one point the sheriff's wife goes, Norman took a wife? And they keep talking about, no, Mrs. Mrs. Bates. Yeah. And then the sheriff out of nowhere, and you don't get that dun-dun-dun, it would have happened in an 80s movie. But he was just like, Norman's mother's been dead 
for you know however many years, and you're like, what? Norman's <laughs> mother was buried in the pet cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> no, down that, down that road there, ground <laughs> sour. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's. I don't know. It's, for me, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie because what can we say that hasn't been said? I know, and I mean, I think we've got a lot of cool things Obviously to say we, about we, this We've sequels. talked for 25 minutes about it, you know? Well, we talked about Betsy Palmer, too. But <laughs> another Chad's mother. like, don't cut me off! <laughs> another, another mother. We're doing it live! Give me the map, Scott! <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real. I, 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 my final thoughts on Psycho is I watching it again re-solidified how much I love this movie. And every time I give a top five list, it never it never comes into my mind as that in that top five. But every time I watch it, I just it's right back there with me. I enjoy this film immensely. Here's the thing about the film: I love the film. I'm obviously wearing a Psycho T-shirt right now. That's a um, dope one too. You guys can find that online. <laughs> five bucks, Daddy. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, I don't feel compelled to watch it that often because for me. It works, and it worked, and it sticks with me, and I don't, I don't need to watch it all the time. It's a great film. It's you know, in my among my top horror films. I keep watching it for Perkins. Oh, Perkins is fantastic. Because every time you find, I find something different in his performance every time. Norman, such a sweet boy. <laughs> and that shot at the end. See this. Right here. Yeah, that shot. I'm not going to touch this fly. <laughs> Wouldn't gonna, even harm a fly. a fly. Dude, that that look up, that look up with that smile, and right there in that end scene. That's son. the skull superimposed, a little bit over top of it. Oh, yeah, that's that's, cool. it's brilliant. that's it, man. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic film. It's a masterpiece. And you're right. Before Psycho, after Psycho. We're talking about a world of difference. Yes. I agree. A couple of tidbits I'd just like to throw out. First first toilet flush on screen. Yes. Wow. Ever. First time a toilet was ever shown. Justice. Like that was just a no. And then they also flushed it with the items going down it. That was. Joseph Stefano wanted that to be in the movie and he brought that to Hitchcock. And Hitchcock says, if you can write it in without it being overbearing, I'd love to. We'll do it. So that's why he wrote the wrote the scene where she writes the figures down on the paper, mm-hmm. so she could flush them away. Interesting. He wanted to show that. Yeah, that was neat. Also, just uh, something I find fun is the girl in the office at the beginning is Hitchcock's daughter. Yes, oh. the coworker that's yeah. working with Crane, who's really nosy. Yep. And, yeah, all that. That, yeah. that is his daughter. And I also find it interesting that so much of the creativity of this was born out of Paramount's distaste for the script. They pulled the budget. He brings in TV talent. Oh yes, and, and crews that did that, and I think that that's why so much of this film is what it is, because they didn't have a lot of money. I mean, he was the god of cinema at this point, but he was adamant on doing the script that they were like, "Are you kidding me? Like, no, we're not giving you all this money for this." That just kind of turned him off, and so a lot of it, I think, was just born out of creativity for necessity, hmm. um, which I think is fascinating. And just lastly, the one thing I wanted to hit on was I love that we explain things so thoroughly at the end of the film. Um, yeah. Because, one, some of the subject matter they had to dance around. And also, Ed Gein was not that old at this point. Yeah. The story, the country yeah. knew about it. This was something that interested, interested them. 
this was something that inspired Block to write the story that he did. Now, clearly, it's a different case, but you can see the tie-ins that really apply to it much more than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in my opinion. Yeah, um, right. Even though they're frequently kind of all lumped in together. The uh, Ghoul of Plainfield? Yeah. Yeah, that's his nickname. Yep. But I just, I love that whole explanation that happens at the end, um, you know, kind of letting them know exactly what it is, because the things that this movie covers is just insane to think about at that time. I mean, ranging from incest, necrophilia, voyeurism, theft, murder. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on, all slapped into this movie that's following 50 cinema. I mean, it's just crazy. Right. So, you know, I just, I love that they kind of spell it out for you at the end and, and finish it strong with with such a crazy reveal like that before and after directors commonly will roll the credits. And I love that he gives you time to process what you've just seen and with an explanation, which I think in the end is ultimately scarier than mm-hmm. just leaving that skeleton flipping around in the yep. chair and rolling the credits. Right. So. Right, I feel like the I feel like the explanation was necessary, yeah, and usually it isn't. Usually yeah. that would be a, a bad thing. Yeah, but today well we would say, "Well, we knew he was nuts because right. everybody's nuts these days. Right. We all go a little mad sometimes." One of the things I thought was interesting was the uh, Hitchcock forwent his usual two hundred fifty thousand dollar his two hundred fifty thousand dollar paycheck. Directors don't make that now. I want to point out. Hitchcock forwent his $250,000 payday on this film because he believed in it so much and took 60%. Universal gave him, or uh, Paramount gave him 60% of the profit because they didn't believe in this movie and they thought they were going to come out ahead on it. And Hitchcock ended up making over $15 million. Y'all can take that badge. All up in your ass. <laughs> All right, you guys ready to move on? Uh, yeah, Love did you want to say anything about the book or do that after? Um, so far, I've read about half of the book. Um, the thing I thought was very interesting is Norman Bates is described in the book as being a larger man, like an oaf, like a yeah, he's overweight. He's very rude and yes. unlikable, and they flip that in the movie. And, and he drinks. Andy Perkins is very appealing looking. He's very polite and pleasant. And like Ed Gein. Yeah. In you know the, what I mean? Yeah, but in the book, Norman is overweight, balding, thick glasses, yes. very abrasive with people. So there's that drastic difference. There's more to it, but I won't spoil that for you since you're working. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, because I'm working on it there, hard. There's a drastic thing, that, but we'll talk about that. When, right when right on. Cool. It. And uh, the other thing I thought was real interesting was because we know Hitchcock and we know his love for his leading women, I thought it was very interesting that we had Janet Leigh, this uh, this fair-haired woman. Um, in the movie, she's blonde. She's very blonde. And in the book, they describe her as having jet black hair. And I thought, I was like, that's, why would that matter? But that was a Hitchcockian blonde thing. You know, that was his love for his leading women. And Janet Leigh was the wife of Stanley. <laughs> Would you stop? Just Jimmy stop. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, how about that? <laughs> I like to uh, take facts. Okay. Apparently. Apparently. Dear listeners, that's not true. So let's talk about Psycho 2. Mad Chan, you got the details? Psycho 2. Sorry, 1983. Directed by Richard Franklin. And this one was penned by Tom Holland. Tom Holland, for those of you who may already know, but for those who don't, was the guy who brought us Child's Play in Fright Night. 
And Tom actually makes an appearance in this film. He plays the deputy yeah. assistant number two. He's also Hatchet too. Yes, yes. And uh, digging up the mirror. <laughs> but anyway, like so Tom Holland actually was the guy who was tasked with bringing a Psycho 2 because there was a book. Robert Block wrote a book, Psycho 2. But in Robert Block's book, he actually talks about Norman escaping from an insane asylum and traveling to Hollywood to stop a movie being made about him. And give me the map, Scott line I said earlier is kind of reminiscent of the Jay and Silent Bob. But literally, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm both thinking the same thing. But the book was about Norman Bates traveling to Hollywood to stop a movie being made about his case. That's great. It is Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. It is. But they didn't. They didn't want to go with that scenario. Okay. So that's why Tom Holland. That's why we got the version that we got. They didn't like that. So this is nineteen eighty. Yeah, because Block kind of took a stab at. He took a stab at the film industry with his book. Stab, like, like scream, like Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah. No. Anyway, inside the scream films, stab. I'm gonna stop giving you. Giving you tidbits. And sorry, I, by the way, I wasn't laughing at you. I just read one of my own notes, and it actually made me laugh. <laughs> okay, sorry. go ahead. So, I'd never seen any of the sequels. Oh, by the way, Norman Bates is played by Anthony Perkis. Uh, Lila Loomis, Vera Miles is back. Uh, Mary Loomis is played by uh, the beautiful Meg Tilly, which I have a story about her. Um, Dr. Raymond is played by Robert Loja. Like everybody's favorite guy from Scarface, um, Warren Toomey, Dennis Franz, and we have Ralph Statler, Robert Allen Brown. Dennis Franz was fantastic in this movie. I love Dennis Franz. All three minutes. Great ass on NYPD Blue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> love his bare ass on NYPD Blue. Let's love my neighbor. Psycho Huge ass. Two. 1983. 23 years later. And so. Never having watched these sequels, I'm thinking, why? Why do this? Why are you making a sequel to a masterpiece? 23 years later, why are you doing this? Because Robert Block wrote a book that they didn't appreciate him taking a stab at their film industry. So they, so they had someone pin a book, pin a movie, and retort. Stab. Get it? Like in the <laughs> I, would also, I would also have a different on what would drive that. Well, this is all lead up. Yeah, you I was trying to make a point, but somebody felt the urge to go ahead and cut in. <laughs> so I sit there and I, I think, why? <laughs> so I sit there and I think, why is there a purpose for a sequel to the Psycho movie? Right. And then I watched Psycho 2 and I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I love it. I think Psycho 2 is fantastic. It's my favorite sequel cool. of all of them that we watched. It's great. It's well written. It's well done. It's it's a total twist, and I, we're going to get into that. But I was, I don't want to say blown away, but I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, this is a great movie. What you guys had told me, you know, that's yeah. why we watch these as a franchise. But I could not believe it. I just really could not. I could not believe getting into this that I would really enjoy Psycho 2. Why not? Because I thought... Why mess with perfection? Yeah, reasonable exploration. There, I mean, when you're watching it, you, it's right in front of you. I'm glad we're exploring this. Yeah. I, I'm interested in this character, and I'm interested in it because it's years later, and reasonable on why we're here at this point in the story. This is actually something that could happen. What's and that why country? we're here? 
I think he's chewing on ice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think also a large a large part of that is because of the slasher boom yeah. and where horror was at that point. And we have three years of this stuff just coming out incessantly, and the kids are packing the theaters to watch it. So mm-hmm. they're like, "Yes, Let's it is the horror boom. It this, is baby. cashing in. Let's yeah. take the original slasher in a sense, because yeah, because um, we're coming um, right after." Halloween and Terror Train and all the movies we talked about yeah. before and Friday the 13th. And yeah, because, I mean, you got Halloween technically in the 70s, but that boom really kicked off when the copycat worked on Friday. Right. Um, and, and then there's just, it's just a, an onslaught of them. I mean, yeah. it's insane to go look up slasher movies that came out in the first four years of the 80s. And we should so, do a podcast about that. <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> um, but I, I think that that, to some degree, was part of it. It certainly was also in relation to the book coming out as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it is shockingly good. Like you would just think when you take some of the all time best movies and to say, Hey, we're going to make a sequel over 20 years later. That's a nightmare. That is going to be a recipe for disaster every time. But the, the way they approach this, and I think in large, large part is thanks to Tom Holland and his choices with the way they worked it is the reason this movie works so well. Um, you almost take this guy into a sympathetic character. You're interested in the flights that he's facing. You want you know, you know, want things to be reasonable for him. Like, you know he's a killer. You know he's done horrible things, but you know he's troubled. And when you see people kind of screwing with him as he's trying to get in his routine, you actually find yourself sympathizing for the guy that scared you 20-plus years later in the first film. That's a very interesting dynamic that they explore. And they don't waste time. I mean, at the beginning, they say it's been 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, they, they don't they don't kill the timeline. Uh, obviously, Anthony Perkins looks older. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they, don't, they don't beat around the bush. Yeah, and I thought it helped that they showed the original footage. Yes. I thought that that gets you right in the groove without spending a bunch of time doing some unfortunate recreation or yeah. build-up for it. Just show the footage and let's get on with it. Yeah. That is the reason right from the jump that, it, that you know, it's on the right foot. Yeah. Matt Jan, what did you think? Um, I really like the movie. Um, the twist that it takes, the things that go on in the movie. Anyone else think it was a little fucked up that Lila married Sam? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of that was kind of a neat thing because they spent this time together, and it was two people that suffered a loss of this one person that they connected so much so that they had a daughter. Um, I think Norman coming back in this movie, it was kind of an interesting take, especially Robert Lozier's character's take on it. You know, like he's trying to, he's trying to monitor Norman. He's trying to help him adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to show the a rehabilitated man, and he goes back to fighting his same demons. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I don't know how far you, if you want me to just start diving into things that happened into the movie. Well. Let's set the premise. Yeah, because it won't take long. There's not. No, yeah. there's not a whole lot of detail. Set the premise. Please. Okay, so Nor- Norman Bates is released, and he's brought back to. He's released from the mental institution. He's brought back to his old house, and um, his mother's house, which he lived in as a child, which the first movie took place in. He's brought back. Uh, the hotel, the motel, is still being is still in service. It's being run by uh, Dennis Franz's character. Uh, Warren Toomey. Norman settles back into his home, and in doing so, they've procured him a job at a local diner. 
And while going to work at this local diner, he meets a young lady who just recently started working at the diner as well. And her name is Mary. And Norman develops a friendship with her. He, through circumstance, she ends up spending a few nights at his house. And then all of a sudden crazy things start happening again and bodies start appearing. Mm-hmm. Let's go from there. Chris? So, people start turning up dead. Right. And the film right. is well done to make us think yeah. that it's obviously Norman. And guess who else thinks it's Norman? Norman. Norman, yeah, thinks, Norman, it's Norman. thinks it's Norman. Yeah. But then we find out that it's all set up. It's a setup of, what's her name? Remind me. Miramonis. They're like real life. No, just in the, in the film. Uh, I just remember as the sister. I can't remember. Janet Lee's sister. Yeah. <laughs> Lila. Lila. Lula. Right. Lila. And we find out that this wayward girl just happens to be her daughter. Yeah. And it's all a setup to make Norman think he's crazy. Because the Loomis, Lila had gone to court to. Yeah, she storms out of it. Yeah, right. she, she had yeah, gone she to court signed, to try there to was keep a petition. Norman from being released. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um,. We get this set, and we find out later that it's a setup. We don't find out right away. You right. know, we we spend three fifths or about three quarters of the film thinking that it's Norman back to his old tricks, but then we find out it's a setup, and that plays into that sympathetic thing where we're like, maybe Norman has rehabilitated. Maybe this isn't his fault, and. That's a great plot twist. Mm-hmm. What do you do with a sequel 23 years later? You throw in a plot twist that nobody saw coming. I think it was... Completely a- threw a whole other element to his Yes, character. I think it was awesome. See, uh, the, I love the little throwbacks in this one. When he he asked her, he's like, have you had dinner? Sandwiches and milk, it's not much. Like, directly yeah, yeah those from callbacks. The first movie. Yeah. The, just those little callbacks from the first movie just made it. And we get to see those throughout this throughout all the sequels, but this one kind of, mm-hmm. it was your first one back. The thing about that too is, is it, it harkens for the viewer who remembers the original, but also, this is all he knows. I mean, we're literally picking up where this man who left from this little sheltered world is right back into where he was from. That's another thing that I, I think ties in. It's like, yeah, it's cute because it was in Psycho, but at the same time, it's also kind of cool in the same sense because that's really his world. I mean, yeah. That's just his routine there. Right. And um, let's not forget that, you know, Dennis Franz's character is running a scummy motel. Yeah, it is, it's like a den of sin that he's right, got going on. Down right, there. there's drugs and prostitution and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Why and, do you think? I, I, who, how did that end up there where he's, like, carrying the torch? I, I bet it was more like a, okay, there's this business in this home and... They're not going to sell it. Yeah, yeah, well, there's this business in this home. They're not going to sell it. Like, we need to bring somebody in to run it. Well, like, you know, let's bring somebody in to run this business. Yeah, and I mean, he, that, he turned it into that, fine. I'm sure. It's no big deal, but I would just think that thing would rot on the side of the road. See, I'm with you, especially of all the mention they make of how they moved the highway in the first movie. That's why, you know, like people don't come out here. They move the highway. But then they make a big deal out of letting us know that, oh, well, we're full up. You know, we have all these hour-long customers, and now it's the 80s, and everybody's doing drugs out there, and everybody's coming out there for Trist and Rendezvous. So, I don't know. 
I like the little notes that mother's leaving for Norman. Yeah. thought that was a cool twist. Right. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. he couldn't hear the, the, the voice right away. So they immediately give him these notes that are coming from mother. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I like that there's lots of daytime, a lot of daytime in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much. Very much. Um, the one scene that I really loved was when Norman is sitting at the, sitting at the piano Mm-hmm. He's playing the same piece that Lestat is playing in Interview with the Vampire. I forget what the name of that piece is, mm-hmm. but I, I just like that callback. There, or not that callback, but I mean that—that's that piece. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. and it's just soft and it's subtle. Some and you're just like, can he play? Can he play this? But then you're like, why couldn't he play this? Like that's what he did, right? He lived in that house. He everything in that house. Right. So right. I don't know. I, I thought that was really awesome. Um, I think women today would have called him out on that people. When the girl finds the people, I feel like women would have been like, women today would have been like, yeah, nah, uh, nah, eighties no. Yeah. In eighty three, she's just like, yeah, they're doing blow and still trying to get rid of disco, they. <laughs> right? And I think it's interesting too that the girl becomes sympathetic to Norman, mm-hmm. like she makes him go in his mother's room. Like, she starts defending him to her mother, who wants to set him up. Like, yeah, she starts to fall for him, you know. And in in a weird way, is sympathizing from the sense of going through the same things. This domineering mother who's making her do things. Right. She doesn't want to do or be. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of combo. What I laughed at earlier was on my notes. I don't even remember writing this. I just put Meg Tilly is much more talented than her hooterific sister Jennifer. So there's that. Loving that. Loving that. Um, I love the. There's just so much. Uh, the knife in the mouth to Mrs. Loomis. Yes. Right that, through the mouth. Oh, that's a great kill scene. Great kill scene. Which goes right into that slasher era. Yeah. That wouldn't have happened probably even five years before. No. No. So how much are we going to give away on this movie? I want. I I want to give the ending okay. because I love it. Okay. Um, I love it. So before we get to the actual ending, ending. We have the masterful, I'm going to use the word masterful, the masterful switcheroo where she dresses up in mother's clothing yeah, to try to talk to Norman. Norman's losing his mind at this I've point. I've seen that somewhere before, somebody dressing up in mother's clothing. <laughs> she dresses up in mother's clothing. She, uh, she is talking to Norman, and then the cops burst in. And the cops, or she dresses up and she starts attacking Norman. Norman's coming after her and she keeps stabbing him repeatedly in different places. Yeah. And yeah, stabs his hand, stabs him in the chest. She's cutting him every place. And he chases her to the basement. The cops bust in and that's the masterful switcheroo. She's attacking Norman with this knife. So they shoot her dead. And they're like, it's okay, Norman. We got her. I can't believe we out. thought it was you. You know what she was doing, Matt. right? She was baiting him. Baiting <laughs> ah, Norman Bates. Oh. What year? What year was Friday Part Two? It would have been the year before this, I think. Maybe two years. I think it was eighty one, wasn't it? Did they follow up Friday? Eighty eighty one. Friday was eighty. Yeah. Friday was eighty. And I don't know if there was two years or one year, but then it was every year there. For yeah. A while. Yeah. So, you know, we've got a girl putting on mother's clothing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jason, mother is talking to you. You know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that chick was way hotter, though. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Amy Steele! What up, Amy? 
Uh, and I love later. I love later. <laughs> I love later that Norman looks at the stab wounds in his hands, and they look like stigmata. Yeah, they look yeah. very much like the wounds that Christ had. So it was interesting. I'm like, Norman and Jesus. Wait, what? Tom Holland goes on to write a very successful vampire movie. I just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> so the big payoff for me. Yeah. Spoiler. Um, so, yeah, we get through this Korean psycho movie. And uh, we, we're we sympathetic to Norman. We are that these people set him up. He's trying to rehabilitate. Ah. It's been. But as far as we know, he's committed all these murders. Murder. We don't know. So we wonder who's done all the murdering, who's done all the setups, all this. And so we're a little sympathetic to Norman. And then we find out. The Norman's mother wasn't his real mother. What? This other lady was his mother. And she comes to meet him and to talk about how, how she is really his mother. Not Auntie is my mom. Yeah. But this is what I love about the film and why I think it's genius. Is that he meets this woman who is supposed to be his mother. And what does he do? He murders her! But Babe Ruth's it. It's just, I mean, like, it was genius when he did that. I was like, oh. Yeah. Any oh. any questions or sympathy you had, then you're reminded, oh, this dude's batshit crazy. He really is psycho. Yeah. He re- and, that's, and that was, I mean, I that was, as Mad Chan says, a stand-up and applaud moment. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I was like, oh, well-written. Brilliant. Well-written. Because he tees off on that shit. Exactly. And it's like. You Which, know, this whole time you're like that he didn't do this. He didn't do this. He's innocent, and then he just murders this woman because he needs mother. Yeah. But you he think, needs a new mother. You think you're getting the call back on this though? That's the greatest part. He goes to the cabinet to make her some tea. Yeah. And he reaches up and he grabs mother's tea tin, and he makes her the tea with mother's tea tin. Unlike before, he makes make Tilly the different the Lipton or whatever. Yeah. Like he makes he grabs the mother's tea tin, and you're like, oh, that's got to be the one with the arsenic in it. She about to go down, and she's sitting there, and sure enough, he just walks over and grabs that shovel and just... No done. remorse. In the done, moment he sir. grabs it, you see it in his eyes. You know that's what's happening. It's done. And, yeah, just... just so, I mean, that ending that ending sealed this movie for me. I, I really like the plot twist. I like the setup that they mm-hmm. were setting him up. But then when he did that, I was like, man, this movie was so well-written. Tom yeah. Holland knocked it out of the park. He took an impossible job. Yeah, and killed it. Yes. He really did. Yeah. And, th- yeah. and there really isn't much you could do that I can think of to improve it. The only thing that, and I'm still not even sure how I even feel about this, but part of me kind of wishes that we would have hinted around the real mother, per se, earlier in the film mm-hmm. that started messing with his head or questioning it um, and giving the viewer more time to process the idea of all that we have known hasn't been. But then, you know, part of me also likes how quick we watch him react that his first instinct is to do that. So, you know what I mean? So there's like two sides of the coin for me. Yeah, Um, it's brilliant. And one other thing I want to say about it before we move on is how it looks. I think it's such a great-looking movie, and it it actually looks so great that while I was watching it, I was like, I don't know who shot this. So I looked it up. Did you guys look this up? On who mm-hmm. shot it? Dean Cundy. No, oh, yeah, it's insane. He, he did Dean Halloween, Cundy. Jurassic yeah. Park, Back to the Future, 
Rock and Roll High School, Roadhouse. I mean, this Apollo 13, this oh, guy's terrible career movies. is insane. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it was just weird as I was watching. I was like, this looks amazing, the way they're – a lot of the vertical shots above the house and, and just all those things. I mean, just all kinds of great stuff going on. Dude, Dean Cundy shot – he shot all these amazing movies. He's the most down-to-earth guy that you'll meet at a convention. If you guys get the chance to do it, I got to meet him with Just Todd. And uh, – he was just that guy. He was like, no, 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 I do what I do. It's like, you know, this yeah, not being, cool. nothing with no hint of assholishness. He was like, no, I do what I do. I like doing it, you know, and I yeah. thought that was so great. But yeah, dude, I agree with you. That movie does look really good. Cool. Uh, final thoughts on Psycho 2? Loved it. Watch it. Yeah, Loved definitely, it. definitely. Loved it. Please watch it. Please watch it. Don't don't let your pride get in the way of thinking, oh, you know, who who would dare make a sequel to Psycho? Because that's what I thought. And then I watched it, and I was like, ah, amazing. Because it adds to the story and enriches it. Okay, so on to Psycho 3, Mad Chan. Psycho 3, direct, 1986, directed by Anthony Perkins himself. Okay. Written by Charles Edward Pogue. Okay. Uh, we got Anthony Perkins back as Norman Bates. Um, we have Diana Scarwood coming in as Maureen. We've got Dwayne, or Duke, as he likes to be called, played by Jeff Fahey. As I like to call him. I love Jeff Fahey. He's a poor man's Don Johnson. <laughs> but he's oh, amazing. Call him that to his face, man. And then I kiss him on the lips, because I, I love him as an actor. He doesn't look like that anymore. <laughs> he looks better. <laughs> yeah. Right on. So first words, out of the, <laughs> first words out of the gate with this movie is, there is no God. Yes. An improvised line. Right. And that's what she came up with. There is no God. Followed by a nun who falls or gets slash gets pushed to her death. Yeah. Followed Psycho by an 3 has begun. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I got to say, this is my least favorite in the installment. Yeah, mine too. I thought this movie, I don't want to say it was terrible. I just didn't enjoy much of it at all. Dude, Jeff Faye's got this great line in the movie. Like, he, uh, the Diana Scarwood character, she's in this. She's in with these nuns, and uh, she she leaves the incident, the place where she's at with the nuns, and basically they tell her, you know, like, no, you're going against God, and you're gonna, you know, things are bad out there, and don't go. And she's she's like, I'm gonna take my chance out here, and she comes upon a guy who's living well in his car. You know, he's basically in his car, Jeff Faye. And it's raining real bad, so she gets in the car, or she gets in the car with him and starts raining real bad. He pulls over, and in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he tries to take advantage of this young lady. And she's not having it. In the middle of the rain, she gets out, and Jeff A. has the greatest line ever You could have been coming instead of going. <laughs> you know, I just want to let you guys know that I used that line all through high school, and I didn't get anywhere with it either. But, like,. Possibly one of my favorite lines in this whole series. Like it, it's, it, this should be the tagline for Psycho. You could have been coming instead of going. Real talk. <laughs> no, like, but that sets the tone for this movie. Like, that's what this movie goes a little dives a little bit deeper into what I feel we can call the '80s. Like the whole the drugs and the what he's doing and the the psycho of the movie. You see what I'm saying? Because of those religious tones, it reminded me of, like, remember... All right, so the whole Phantasm series is confusing, but I love it. But remember how weird Phantasm 4 was? 
like all those like scenes in the desert right, and like right. all those like religious overtones. Like I feel like that was a little bit of this. And I was like, come on, bro. You're trying too hard. What year was this? 86. Okay, so three years after part two. But it's supposed to take place 30 days after the last movie. Oh, okay. That's the thing about it. It's supposed to take place 30 days after part two ends because Mrs. Poole, which we, is the mm. name of the woman right. that told Norman she was his actual mother in the last movie, Mrs. Poole has been missing 30 days. And we know what happened to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get the MC on the luggage of the girl, and her hair supposedly triggers Norman. Norman sees this girl. He sees the MC, the Marion Crane. You know, the MC on her luggage, oh, yeah. and this suppose and her blonde hair because they do a flat. They do a flashback shot of Janet Lee in the shower with that locks of her hair yep. when he sees this blonde woman in the diner, and this is supposed to start triggering his flashbacks to what's going on. One thing, I, this is the one positive thing I'll say about the movie, besides the fact that I love Jeff Fahey. One positive thing I will say is I love that they did a black and white flashback of part two. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Yep. They did a flashback to two instead of doing it in color, because two was in color. They did a black right. and white flashback. I thought it was neat. Right on, right on. Um, go ahead. I've got a bunch, but go ahead. Um, me personally, I, for me, I put this neck and neck with two. I like I like this what? better better than four. Yes, um, I think it carries much of what the second one did just a little bit further, um, and it in a way puts an end to his crazy. He finally gets full blown out of control. Mm-hmm. I like that it has black comedy in it. Um, I like that he directed it, um, and that. It almost gets surreal at times. I feel like the viewer is being treated to almost the bizarre nature of what he's going through. And that's why I brought up the phantasm piece. Right. Like, it just got so weird and bizarre, but that took me out of it. Yeah. And but, I I, just, but I like where you're going with that. And I feel like, but it at least has a place in this instance. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, I like two better, but I this one wasn't far behind it. I didn't need, my, my real complaint with it, and it kind of goes along with what you were saying there, is that I don't need the extreme beginning. I do not care what this girl's running from. Right. Just have her get in an argument with a boyfriend. I don't need the whole epic nun flying down a stairwell in a tower or whatever. I don't know if that's too a, much. Yeah, it's just like that's not needed. I like the characters we have on site. I like that we basically finish up his chapter where it all started. I mm-hmm. like that things finally get out of control. I like the last lines that are said to him by the sheriff as he's putting him in the car i don't know i just for me i like the way it tied it up and for you know which we'll go into that but it revisits some other things and mm-hmm. has its own job as a movie but no i i i didn't I, I guess i like three better than you guys i had distinctly remember before for the podcast really enjoying just both of them kind of mm-hmm. like sibling movies they were kind of made close to each other and i liked that they were different movies so there were lots of cool throwbacks in this movie. Like the, like a, we were talking about the the character. I didn't see the Janet Lee resemblance. I really didn't because she was a chunkier lady, yeah, but short and like short blonde hair. No, Congratulations, she doesn't look like her. She didn't look like her at all, except when her hair was wet. Right. When Janet Lee's hair was wet, you know, in the shower scene, and they tried to show you. Well, this is the resemblance, but I just didn't get it. Um, I did like some of the other throwbacks, though. The mother, the blood, mother, blood, blood. You know, mm. the different shit that was going on there. 
Um, I thought it was interesting that in the movie that Anthony Perkins directs, he's getting intimate with a far younger woman, and mm-hmm. Andy's a homosexual man in real life. Really? So, yeah. So that was a. Uh, this is interesting. I thought that was kind of interesting. You know that he wrote it. He wrote Norman in this. Well, he's gonna. He's trying to get with this woman. Where, as we know before, the women that he was infatuated with, he ended up killing. And this one. He's gets he becomes infatuated with her and he sleeps lays with her all night. And I did there were just lots of things in three that could either they were they were either here or there. Uh, I'll just I thought the blood ice was a good touch. That was yeah, funny. I like that. I, I really oh, like, yeah. I love and the that. The thing is, is, it wasn't too much. That didn't turn into like an ongoing gag to the movie. It was just right. I feel like those moments are important by the time you're getting into part three. Um, if you take yourself too seriously, especially when majority of the viewers know that the star is directing it. Right. And I feel like it was just a good move on his part. But one scene, and I remember this before I rewatched it for this, it's always stuck with me, and I guess it's just a personal thing that bothers me, but how well done that scene is of them going into the water. Remember what I'm talking about when he's got Jeff yeah. Body down on the floor? Oh, yeah. Pinned down there, and you actually are watching it. It's like, the water's just rip-roaring up over the car. That was really well done, especially for somebody who'd never directed before. Oh, yeah. The fact that some of these scenes and sequences were happening the way they did, it was pretty good like that. Uh, that was scary. All Fahey's stuff was was there. I, I felt the sex scene was out of place. I, I really <laughs> I did. Agree. Yeah. Like, I enjoy, no, don't get me wrong, I enjoy a good sex scene in a movie if it's if there's a reason for it. We just didn't see any need for it in this particular instance. And one thing we haven't even brought up yet was the woman who's trying to interview Norman. In right. this movie, like she's trying to interview Norman, she says because she is it. She's writing a paper. Honestly, I didn't. She was so forgettable. But what she ends up doing is she ends up hindering him later on in the process. And she's so forgettable. But then they bring her at the end as like the climax character, right? You know what I'm saying? And I agree with you that she was forgettable. I'm like, who cares about this lady? Then she shows up at the end when all the shits hitting the fan, and I'm like, really? This lady is going to be the one? Right. And then we talked about the blonde lady. The uh, She tries to commit suicide in the bathtub. And then Norman comes in as mother to kill her, and she sees him as this angelic figure. The, so there is... The, the, the Virgin Mary. As the Virgin Mary, yeah, yeah. yeah. And his his stainless steel butcher knife, she saw as a, as a cross, as a crucifix. Yeah. So, I mean, there were definitely those undertones, and it you had, makes you wonder if that was more in the script or more in... What Perkins wanted to tell with this? Probably Perkins. He probably just so saw yeah something he wanted to do. I I thought those were interesting. Um, the throwback to her falling down the steps. I really yeah. like. I really like yeah, that, that from the. Fun. Yeah, because I always thought that was neat in Psycho. He does, mm-hmm. he doesn't tumble down right. the steps. He just kind of falls yeah. back the steps. I I really enjoyed that. And then when she did that as well, but she hit her head on the spike, yeah. and I was like, oh, there we go, it's over. I thought that was interesting. I thought it was a little too cheesy for me. But it was a throwback to the first one. Yeah, I hear you. There were some good throwbacks, uh, especially even he brings back the quote, well, we all go a little crazy sometimes. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, like I said, I love I love Fahey, but this, this film just didn't work for me. What about your dude Fahey in the motel room? The lamps? Yeah, well, not, not so the lamp scene. Weird. No, yeah, I'm talking the lamp about the... Scene, like, he said in an interview it's because he was uncomfortable with sex scenes. Uh-huh. And so the only things they show is him holding stuff in front of him, doing that, and then like them in a chair where you can't really see either one of them. Uh, 
Either mean, way, it was still bizarre. Yeah. I was actually talking about the scene where the cops go up to search Norman's house and they don't find mother in the house. And then there's a note that says, come to room 12. And he goes to room 12, Fahey's room. And mother's sitting in a rocking chair watching TV. And Fahey's like almost naked over in the corner yeah. playing his guitar. Yeah. And we find out yeah. that he's just as fucked up as Norman. Right. Is. That was a weird scene. That's why I call bring this movie and I call it the 80s. <laughs> like, that's what I don't know. It's like, I guess if you... If, I can I can totally see where if you want a continuation of greatness, it's really disappointing. But for me, I just like that it's kind of like fireworks. It's just yeah. let's finish it off with a bang, with well, crazy shit. And we we have and really glossed dumb. over and not made the point that this film is like a throwback to one. This is a continuation. This is Norman kills what was her name at the end of two? You said her name is now because oh, Mrs. Pool. Yeah, Mrs. Poole. Mrs. Norman Poole. kills Mrs. Poole at the end of two because he needs mother's voice. He needs that because when he kills her at the end of two, he puts her in the dress, puts her up in the room because that's what he needs. And that's who she is through part three. So, like, it's a callback because that's who Nor- Norman needs that voice right. because he can't do it on his own. And um, so we get that that, pardon me, Weak payoff at the end, right. where the reporter shows up and was like, "Mrs. Poole was not your mother. She wanted to be your mother. Yeah, so I, she killed your mother and killed everybody. And she I'm killed like, your father. You know, yeah, and, and it's like, oh gosh, can we can we just twist on twist on twist? Like for me, it was too much. It was like we got the twist in two that that this lady was actually his mother, and that's why he killed her because he needed mother. And now we're finding out that mother wasn't his mother but mother was his mother and his mother was his mother 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 it was like just give me a break but give me this though perkins as mother at the end of three was legit creepy oh yeah now, oh yeah when he comes out with that wit man that was downright scary that really? was that image was worse than the I first I movie just, i didn't put as much stock in a lot of a lot of that stuff along the way i didn't when it's all said and done his crazy ass is locked up and going back forever yeah and right. to me that's like you know we finish it up it, he got his chance out he's clearly he shouldn't be out and you know we're done so it's like yeah there's a lot of stuff where even it left me scratching my head but i just didn't really care but uh, you know at that time it's part three let's kill some people right, let's get his right. ass locked up so dude um i want to know how the stabbing of the corpses worked at the end because he had already killed both of his mothers before yeah. So how did that help exercise his demons when he was stabbing the corpses? Like that that made no sense to me, but I did love the hand. When he's yeah. in the cop car at the very end and he pulls mother's hand out. I enjoyed that. Okay. I think we've wasted enough time on three. Final thoughts on three? Yep. <laughs> Enjoyable. Yeah, dude. Definitely check it out because there's a three pack you can get for ten bucks. Watch all three of two, three, and four. Yep. And that leads us to number four, Psycho IV. <laughs> Psycho Four, New Beginning. New Beginning. New Beginning. Now this is the most exciting one for me. Psycho Four. Well, after the original, Psycho Four, nineteen ninety, directed by Mick Garris, written by Joseph Stefano. Aha! You see how we did that there? Uh-huh. Full circle. Aha! Taste the soup. Taste the soup. Anyway, we got Anthony Perkins back as Norman Bates again. 
We have Henry Thomas of E.T. fame coming back to play young Norman Bates. We have Olivia Hussey playing Norma Bates. Mm. We have CCH Pounder. I can't believe that's a real name. But oh my God, that's a name. Playing Fran Ambrose, the host of a call-in radio show. Yeah. And we've got John Landis, of all people, yes. Playing, yes. playing Mike, the guy that works in the radio station with her. I was like, that had to be Mick Garris, like, Hey John, um, Psycho the, Four, you want to do this? One of the few people that would work with him in those years after the Twilight Zone stuff because he had a tough time. Yeah. So a lot of those friends would band together with him. So yeah, it was fun to see. Him. I, I thought that was neat. Um, now the interesting thing about this movie is Stefano. You need to know this before we move ahead. Stefano dovetailed off of the end of Psycho Two. Yeah. Norman Psycho Three never happened in this world. That's why Norman's out, because Norman wasn't guilty at the end of Psycho 2. That's why oh, Norman's out. Okay. That's why he's able to be with a wife. Okay. Um, he's had the relapse after the end of 2, went back to an institution for a little while to help him get through a hard time, but now he's out and married to the woman who helped him get through that hard time. So that's why he's... Number 3 never happened. He's not locked up for life. Yeah. Call it Norman Bates. Like it, you know what I mean? Psycho three did happen. That's why there's four in your title. Right on. And that's hard for me. One day when I have children, what do I say to my children? I want you to watch one, two, skip three, watch four, uh, and they'll go, "Well, Dad, I want to watch three. Uh, no, not I, important." Yeah, I wish. It, <laughs> yeah. It just well, it's like you, it's like watching order. Superman one and two, skipping three and four, and moving into the uh, what's his name is very moving into the Brian Singer version. You know, yeah. dovetailing off. But anyway. Um, I love this movie. I love the radio show call-in. Yeah, I think I, this, I this is my favorite of the sequels. Four really brings a lot of things home to me. I think it's because I, you know, the critter style. I love the Mick Garris style. Yeah. You know, like that's, I really enjoy that. And this to me brought that in. I love Mick Garris. Um, I love the idea that we're going to finally get to see some of the throwbacks to what made Norman Bates, Norman Bates and the things that we've only heard about him poisoning his mother, um, things that happened that we go on later to see in Bates Motel, but, you know, things that happened to him along the way, his development into to who Norman was and why they happened. And we kind of go through them almost step by step. This is what happened. This happened to me as a teenager. This happened to me as a young boy. Mother did this. Mother did that. Why did you kill her? This is why I killed her. I, I really enjoyed that about this movie. I agree. I agree, and I wonder if I would like this movie if I was not already a fan of the TV show Bates Motel. I'm just being honest, yeah, I because I love Bates Motel. I've watched all three seasons. I think it's a fantastic show, but Bates Motel does a fantastic job of telling the story that is told in part four, primarily. I get you, and I, I can totally see that. What's that woman's name that you're in love with? Yeah, so... Like, I can see that because you've got this idea for people who watch that show. You've got this idea that she is Mrs. Bates. She's mother. But this movie happened in 1990 and in the scheme of things was supposed to be seen 20 some years before that. You see what I'm saying? Right. That's why I saw this movie before. Mm. So I saw this before I ever saw yeah. an episode of that. So. I'm not discounting the movie. Oh, no, no, no. I no. Really, By all means, I get you. Yeah. But I could see why you would think why right. that would be your thing. Right. Because when I watch it, I'm like, oh, 
oh, cool, just like on Bates Motel. Whereas you're like, no, dude, this was its own movie before there was Bates Motel, the TV show. Right, right. 20 years later, you know. Right, it's like there was no Opie in this movie. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, He told me really quick when I met him, he was like, I'm in Bates Motel. I'm in Bates Motel. (laughs) I've got reason to be at this horror con. Um, I like this movie. I think it's. I did. It's my favorite. I, it, yeah, it's Mick Garris. And when when it popped up, Psycho Four, I was like, oh, I'm not looking forward to this. <laughs> but then it was like directed by Mick Garris. I was like, now I'm in. I was like, I love Hocus Pocus. I'm gonna watch this movie. You're a strange man. <laughs> he with the Hocus Pocus. Like I like Hocus Pocus. Eh? No, I like Garris like stuff. I like the Shining television. <laughs> right on. So I was like, I'm in. And then they did the radio show thing. Yes. And uh, to me, the most recent radio show movie that I watched was Pontypool. You guys have seen Pontypool? No. Neither of you have seen Pontypool? I've been saving it to do on a show. Lord of mercy. Well, Pontypool is very much radio show driven. So that to me, even though this was made before Pontypool, for me, was a callback. It was like, oh, I like the format of the radio show. So, yeah, I like this movie. It works for me. Yeah. And I like the young Norman Bates. I, I like the setup. Um, I liked it. I think it worked well. It fit in with the whole scheme. And uh, I think it was a, a great way to do the story. Uh, the ending, not so much, but we'll get there. Professor? Eh, enjoyable. Right um, I do not dig the DJ format. I feel like the character we have come to know him as wouldn't be calling. Yeah, right. He wouldn't want to talk to the DJ about these horrible right. personal things. I got you. Once the viewer gets over that, it's entertaining. It's it's a very nice way to run through the past. Um, but I don't know, man. I, w- like, I wish, like... I guess we like the thrill of wondering where he is yeah. in terms of, like, when you're talking and are we talking to Norman Bates and so on and so forth. Yeah. But it's like, to me... You could have accomplished this where if you just picked up from part three and he's in an insanitarium or wherever, some insane asylum, and somebody's just interviewing him and talking about his life. And he could, you know, talk about a lot of these things that same way without an ending that I didn't like. I didn't like And the without the DJ thing, but we still could have explored all the past, which is the meat of the film. And we still could have had, uh, you know, Anthony Perkins be a part of it, the same cast that played those people. But overall, I mean, it moves along very quickly. Mm-hmm. And for part four, pretty good. Yeah, for a part four. Yeah. Because that's the thing, we sat down to watch it today, and I looked at my girlfriend, and she was like, well, what's this going to be about? I was like, well, it's a part four. <laughs> same, thing, same, thing I, the beginning. same thing I said to your, about to your sister. Your sister was like, Robert, did you see Scream 4? What would you think? And I was like, well, it was a fourth Scream movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this was a fourth Psycho uh, movie. Uh and I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad about it at all. Yeah, I'm not hating the movie. Just, yeah. it was enjoyable. Yeah. I really liked um, the choices for Norman and Mom. I, I thought too. they were both excellent. Yeah. Madness. And, and CC Smash Hammer, or whatever her name is, was pretty good. It's a DJ. <laughs> CCH Pounder. Oh, sorry. She's a McDonald's sandwich. She was she was a DA in Sons of Anarchy, right? Or no, what was she in Sons of uh, Anarchy? Yeah, she was the district attorney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I thought Henry Thomas did a great job in this movie. Yeah. I thought Olivia Hussey did a great job in this movie. Oh. Olivia, uh, Olivia Hussey. Hussey. She was a Hussey. Olivia yeah. Hussey legit. Gorgeous. She did a great job. She made me hate her and want to blot her with orange flower water at the same time. <laughs> like, I just want to put that out there. Like I wanted to do that. And you know Henry Thomas was loving that scene. You know he was. He was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to rub her legs up with this water. I'm going to do that. Um, that scene where she was yelling at him about the highway and him trying to kill her while he was inside of her and him trying to kill her while he was giving birth yeah. to her. Like, that really that really cemented a lot for me That's right. about this movie because yeah. she's legit just pulling it off. And there's a scene where they're, they're playing, like when he was doing the water, and they're playing and um, they end up rolling around on the floor together. And, Nor- and uh, Norman rolls on top of his mother. And you could tell that he was some kind of aroused. Yeah. Because she, they're laughing and looking into each other's eyes. And Thomas has this great look on his face like he's deeply in love with his mother, which you'd expect from Norman Bates. And she just flips. She switches on a dime. And I thought that was great. I thought that was a great bit of acting because she legit goes from smiling and happy to berating him. And that's the part where in the book, in the book, they make a big, in the first Psycho book, they make a big thing where he talks about the P word. Mother said he was this thing, or I word. And, and uh, what they're saying is Norman's impotent. Oh. And the, and the I word. And Norman's impotent. And they don't really touch on that in the other three movies, but in this movie, mm-hmm. we get to see her put him in a closet with a jug. And be like, here, but this he is can, the only way. He can wee-wee in. He can wee-wee in, yes. But, I mean, I thought that was great because it, it, it builds the character. They did a great job with the detail because it builds the character that Stefano already set up in the first movie. He got to go back through and set up that character. And you, a lot of people don't get that opportunity to do that, especially yeah. 20-some years later. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I thought that was great. And then there's this one great line where they're talking to Bates on the phone. And she goes, how did you kill your mother? And he goes, slowly. And it was so creepy, dude. Like, mm-hmm. watching it, my skin started crawling. She's like, how did you kill your mother? And he goes, slowly. Oh, my God. I, like, dropped the phone. It was great. I, I just loved a lot about this movie, man. I liked it. I liked it. I really, I was pleasantly surprised. I sat down dreading watching the fourth installment of Psycho and finished it. And I go, not bad. Not bad. Black <laughs> Echo. Not bad. <laughs> so there's a callback. Yeah. The um, the end. I'll give it to you guys. The end wasn't that great. Yeah. I, I will give it to you because there's a few things like Norman, who was married to a woman who took care of him in this in the asylum. Um, Norman, you call your husband, or your husband calls you at work and says, "Meet me at my mother's house." A man who has these problems. Why do you go? And how do you stay married to somebody after they tried to kill you in their mama's house? I don't care who you are. They won. That's it. It's done. They won. I gotta go. I'm out. So I mean, there were there were those things, but it it was symbolic, and I could see why they did the end. Because at the end of Psycho Four, he legitimately burned his past to the ground. Yeah, but here's my big complaint. Yeah, he needs to die. Yeah. This man has hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Why are we supposed to be excited that he's free from his afflictions right. after all that he's done? I, I'm with you. You know what I mean? That. Like I felt like at, at the at, by the fourth installment, man, 
let's toast this dude. If like not, in the house when like the ghost kept horror. coming after him, there, dude, yeah. I was with you. And if I, he would have died, I would. I would here's the thing: I didn't like how epic it got with the right. flames and all that. Yeah. I didn't mind the curtain call, but they could have pulled it back and toned it down a little bit. It didn't spoil the movie. It wasn't that big of a deal to me, but kind of put me off for the ending. Like whereas I'd really entered like been entertained up until then. I was just like. Oh, we're up in the ante now. What it's you know, and I just and it really kind of irks me that like there's like this heartwarming walk off, like that he's free. Yeah, I'm like kiss my ass, so dude. Like, like, <laughs> that was my biggest hangup from it. But uh, uh, but the rest of the movie, ultimately that ending really doesn't matter. The movie's right. enjoyable. You watch it for the backstory. Yeah. So. See, I just remembered watching that one earlier on. And I kept telling the wife, I was like, no, 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 this is the one, this is the one. And then I, it was everything that I remembered it to be. I, I remembered a couple of scenes that maybe I imposed on, on my own. But other than that, man, like everything was just right there and it was spot on. I thought it was great. But yeah, if they'd have killed Norman at the end of the series, like if he would have just been like, look, you go on, I'm done. Like, he let her go, but then walked into the house to burn it and just accepted his fate. I'd have been okay with that. Yeah. All in all, still worth watching, though. Yeah, definitely. Even though, spoiler, told you everything. Uh-huh. I got nothing else to say about this one. Nope. I can tell. I'm over it. Sitting over there looking at your tattoos. <laughs> like, I got so many great tattoos. I'm just going to sit here and look at them. Baba duck 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 know what's going on over there. That's weird now. No, but but legit, man. Easy there, Norman. Psycho is a series. All right, right, man. Psycho is a series. (laughs) Don't laugh at me. Psycho is a series. Give it a map, Scott! (laughs) Psycho is a series. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I'm very, very pleased that I watch these films. I'm very happy to be here. I know you said you did. Do you like Bates Motel? Um, From what I've seen of it so far. About the movie, the TV. Yeah, show. sorry. Does anybody know anything about the movie when it was made? Who was in it? Um, you don't have to look it up. I was just curious. I, I don't. Um, if just, it was something that happened before the sequels. Just Todd. I, just Todd offered it up to me, but I knew we were just doing the main four movies, so gotcha. I wasn't that quick to grab it. If I want to say anything about the remake with Vince Vaughn, I, honestly, if you, you want to hear my opinion, I did it on the remake episode where I just absolutely take it. Dump on it. You get to see Anne Hayes' butthole. That's about it. <laughs> I knew that was Mad Chance. Her purpose. That's coming. Mad Chan will probably post a link at some point for um, you to see Kevin Smith's. I do want to say just a few things about Bates Motel because I love the show. I think the show is. Is that it? You were you were you were downplaying me on the four, so you could talk about the show that you've been invested in. Yep. Go ahead. So the show is so well done. Um, it's shot in the Pacific Northwest. Um, the colors are beautiful. Everything is great. They stay true to the house. The house looks the same from the outside and the inside. Um, Norman's into taxidermy in the show. The kid who plays Norman is perfectly awkward and creepy. He's great. Love He's really it. coming into it, too. Freddie Freddy Hightower? Freddie Highmore. 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 He's no. also Charlie from Charlie the Chocolate Factory. I'll be darned. Uh, so, yeah, Freddie Highmore is fantastic. Uh, they play into the same storylines. The highway is moving. That's a big part. You know, Norma wants to straighten that out. Um, you know, in uh, Psycho 1, Norma sells her car. Or not Norma. Um, Janet Lee sells her car to get another one. Norma, in 
Bates Motel sells her car to get another one. I mean, so many callbacks. Yeah, there's lots of little play around yes. that, where they're just kind of distorting it for fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then it's fascinating to me that so much of the creepy, awkward, incestuous things really don't come out till Psycho 4. Yeah. So overtly. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of Bates Motel. See, yes, it's it it's never really talked about in the series. I don't know. I haven't finished the book yet. It's never really talked about in the series because in Psycho 4, Norman makes a point to be like, this isn't an incest story if that's what you were hoping for. But we, oh, Norman obviously has those feelings, not necessarily even directly yeah, towards his mother. In the same but, movie, we're watching flashbacks of him Googling and at a hole through his mom's hooters. So. Right, right. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like, and throughout the rest of the movies, there's always this underlined tone that you he had to have been, there had to be some kind of sexual abuse, some kind of incest, some kind of something because they make allusions to Norman became the man of the house for mother. You know, Norman and mother had this special relationship, and but they never say incestuous. And is that is that where the show's taking that turn? Mm-hmm. Like, are they flirting or are they making out or? No, just as creepy as four. You know, I mean, there's rolling around on the floor together. Yeah, yeah. It's, those, it's exploring what's beyond an unhealthy attachment yeah. of mm-hmm. insecurity that they kind of rely on each other. I've only watched season one and two, but I mean, there's, you know, it's abundant there as well. Yeah. What's going on with that? Yeah. Excellent show. I like one of my favorite things about that show is that, with the exception of technology, like cell phones and thing, cell phones and things, they make it timeless. She is dressed almost like someone from the 50s a majority of the days that you yep. see her in the show. But yet the kids will have things that could have been popular in the 90s, the 50s. Like they are purposely dressing things around, even with retro cars mm-hmm. from different time periods. That It's timeless. So that it kind, kind of makes you quit comparing to the movies. That you can just focus on the genesis of the characters and what you're watching and still almost take that and apply it to the movies, which I found happened when I watched the movies this time, that it didn't matter when Bates Motel, the series, was set, that I was still kind of enjoying taking what I'd watched from that into the movies because it had been kind of timeless, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Right on. Man. Yeah. So, that's all I've got to say about Fizco. I mean, Psycho. 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 Yes. Any closing thoughts? Um, if you're interested, watch Hitchcock where that's solely about him, you know, discovering the book and chasing, making the film. Interesting. Uh, I will do that. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, not the best movie, but worth watching. Definitely. Cool. It's Anthony Hopkins playing Alfred Hitchcock. It was a great movie. Nice. Closing thoughts, Mad Chan? I really enjoyed the series as a whole, Um, but getting to go back and watching them again with the purpose made me want to delve deeper. Like I said, I bought the book. I'm halfway through the book right now. Um, I did buy the Gus Van Sant version, mm-hmm. um, which I think now reading a little bit of the book, I can understand why Vince Vaughn may have been cast as Norman Bates because he is a larger, oafier type character. Um, we'll see how that plays out as I finish the rest of the book. But other than that, man. You need a George Costanza. <laughs> to play like a Jason Alexander. Yeah. It's like a little stumpy, unlikable ball. Well, but, he, but he's Can't big. He's decided, he's decided he's big, though. Mm, okay. 
So it's almost like what's his name, like French fried potatoes, you know, like uh, sling blade. Yeah, like kind of like that. Ophi, like that's what I envisioned when I started reading it. I envisioned. I think this more of like a bigger Vincent D'Onofrio. See, I, yeah, yeah, D'Onofrio would have been the it. Comic book guy from Simpsons was kind of like just <laughs> worst surly worst episode ever. <laughs> but right on. So no, I mean I like Psycho as a whole, and uh, I'm glad that Bates Motel. Is something that's popular right now because people can rediscover the genesis of this, and uh, who knows, it may lead to another movie—not a remake, but a mo- another movie, or at least more things about that character in general. Because I think it's a very fascinating character. With there's a lot of people out there that have committed matricide, but uh, I think he's he's a little bit of richer of a character than most. Well, my final thoughts is that by Psycho 4, Anthony Perkins starts looking like Vince McMahon from the WWE. And on that note, we are <laughs> the Midwest Monsters. Happy 50th, guys. And yeah, uh, yeah, happy, happy 50th. 50th. Uh, watch these films. I really recommend that. So, closing out the Psycho episode, the 50th episode, I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, joined by my homeboys, Magic, Professor Wagstaff, and we wouldn't hurt a fly. Forward to inviting y'all. Oh, God, I'm